Guatemala is located directly south of Mexico and directly west of Belize, Honduras, and El Salvador, right in the heart of Central America. The country boasts over 17 million people, and almost half of them are of Mayan descent. The other half can trace their roots to Spain and the conquistador invasion of the 16th century. It's a beautiful place full of beautiful people and a vibrant yet impoverished culture. And in early 2004, I was settling in as a reasonably well-adjusted resident. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. My time in Guatemala comes back to me as one giant ball of memories, and all of them are wonderful. I'm sure there was some negative stuff in there somewhere, but as I look back, it's all just magic. And I want to tell you guys all about it. The main thing that I think about when I think about Guatemala, of course, is falling in love with Makaya. That's the thing that marked my time there more than anything else, but there's so much more to say. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about the time I had there with Makaya. We spent so much time just traveling around the country which is incredibly cheap to do and is primarily done on these uh, retired school buses from the United States that end up in Guatemala somehow and are painted and decorated to look like, um, almost like Mayan shrines. I mean, they're just beautiful. They have their wild, crazy colors and they've got like charms and chrome everywhere and all kinds of stuff hanging over them. They've all got a rack on the top, which is generally full of like people's stuff that they're traveling with or whatever it is. Oftentimes there's like crates of chickens up there and like other livestock. And these guys that run these chicken buses just run them with such like perfection and speed that it's really something to watch. There's always a driver and an ayundante. And the ayundante is like, it, it means helper. And they basically just kind of run the logistics of the bus and the driver just does the driving. But you can travel pretty much anywhere in the country for next to nothing, like a dollar, two dollars, something like that to get clear across the country. Of course, you're riding inside a school bus that's just absolutely jam-packed with like dirty, stinky people and there's no AC and it's nasty. But if you can get over that, it's it's a pretty fun experience. I mean, it's really a trip. And the way it works is you go to wherever the bus stop is, or really you don't even have to go to the bus stop. You can just kind of go stand anywhere on the bus route. And if you kind of raise your hand like you would hail a taxi as it's coming by, they'll stop for anybody and they'll shout out wherever they're going. And if that's where you want to go, you hop on and you usually give them one quetzal or eight quetzales or or whatever the price is. You know, like they'll they'll tell you, um, and the quetzale is basically, that's the, that's the Guatemalan currency. And it's basically, when we were there, the exchange rate was eight quetzales equals a dollar, basically. So for eight quetzales, you're traveling somewhere for a dollar. And we would just travel around a lot. And, and I talked to Makai's dad about that. And I said, hey, look, we're, we're both here. We both want to travel. 
And, um, and I just said, like, can, can we have your permission to just kind of travel around and, and we'll stick together and we'll kind of be smart about it? And he said, sure. And so we would go and travel around a lot. And we would go to, um, if you guys haven't been to Guatemala, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, there's volcanoes. It, it's not just, you know, flat desert. It's mountainous and beautiful. And we lived in a part of Guatemala uh, known as the Highlands. And the elevation there was... Something like 8,000 feet, 9,000 feet. I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to look it up real quick. Quetzaltenango. It's at about 7,900 feet. So yeah, it's pretty high up. So the, the air is cool up there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So anyway, from there, you can get all over the country on these chicken buses. And that's what we would do. And we our, our favorite places to go was Lake Atitlan, um, in this little town called uh, Panajachel that was right there on the lake. And the lake, you got to look up pictures of Lake Atitlan. I know I can't show you photos here on this podcast, but I want you guys to stop what you're doing, pause the podcast, and search Lake Atitlan. And you're going to see some pretty beautiful and amazing images. And that's just going to give you a good idea of what the country looks like. There's volcanoes and lakes, and it's just amazing. And the culture and colors of Guatemala are just vibrant and wild and everything is very colorful and beautiful and um, even though it's poor it's run down it's you know kind of uh, put together in a ramshackle way it's still just beautiful and of course the spanish conquistadors brought with them the roman catholic religion and so there's all these ornate churches everywhere and things like that and it's just amazing and so we go to Panajachel, and we would go to Antigua, which is um, kind of the old city of Guatemala. It's it's like 500 years old. It's just beautiful. Look up Antigua, Guatemala, too, and you'll go down a, a rabbit hole of just the beauty of the country, and I would encourage any of you guys to go there. But me and Micaiah just traveled all over the place. We would go and spend the night at one place or another and, and just kind of travel and try food, and it was just so cheap and so much fun to do it. And I remember one time, I don't I don't remember exactly when this was, but you know how a relationship starts. It's still, you know, you everything is brand new. Everything is the first time. And I remember one time on the chicken bus, we were getting on the chicken bus in Antigua and we were about to travel back to Shayla or Quetzaltenango. And uh, we're sitting there on the bus and we're kind of waiting for it to leave. And uh, most of the time, the music in the bus is, is like just Guatemalan music or Mexican music. And it's all got that, um, you know, Latino kind of beat to it. And we got used to it. You know, it was cool. We, we got into some of the bands there. But every now and then you'd hear some American music. And I remember we sat down on this bus and uh, a Coldplay song came on. And I was just like, oh, man, it's beautiful, you know. And we're kind of sitting next to each other in the seat. And I remember just reaching over and just holding her hand. I just kind of went for it. And like I said, we had already kissed. But, you know, the hand holding is another thing. You know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and it's meaningful. It doesn't matter how old you are. The first time you hold hands with your significant other, it's a special thing. And it was just so cool just, like, completely falling in love there. And we would just walk around and, you know, it, it was just that that young love sort of thing that hopefully you guys know what that's like. And if you haven't experienced that yet, just put yourself out there and, and do what you can do to find it. And it's just an amazing thing. And I wish that for everyone. And it was just all the butterflies, all the anxiety and all the thrill of falling in love, just staying up late at night, talking, 
dreaming and, and sort of, you know, at, at one point we kind of got to where we start talking about the future, you know, and, you know, you start to daydream and man, where, where would you like to live in life? And, you know, what if we got a dog? What would we name it? And stuff like that. You, you know, all the stuff. And it was just so fun to just dream together and make plans. And so as we're kind of hanging out and having fun in Guatemala, we're also looking to the future, you know, and we're kind of seeing some options and some opportunities for, for where we want to go next. And somewhat early on in our relationship, I remember it was important to me to just communicate to Micaiah's dad my intentions and my thoughts and just kind of where we were at. And one day we were riding around in, in her dad's car uh, around Shayla, and I just found it a good time. And I said, hey, David, I just want to let you know um, I really like Micaiah a lot. And she likes me a lot and you know we're we're dating you know it's kind of an official thing I just want to let you know that you know I said I, I hope that's okay with you and but I, I just want to let you know that I really think she's great and I and uh we're gonna continue dating and I really like her a lot and he said he said Jacob we we think that's great and we're just happy to have you around and all this great stuff so it's like sweet so anyway that was kind of the setting that was kind of the atmosphere you know I'm hanging out with Micaiah a lot and we're just having a great time we're falling in love and I'm also helping the church start up their youth program which was kind of the whole purpose of me going there in the first place and so the youth program turned out to be really cool I really really enjoyed this basically there was probably 18 or 20, maybe 25 young people that were coming to church on Sundays. They had an English-speaking church, you know, so there was that many kids there. And when I say kids, I mean like basically middle school to high school aged kids. Um, it wasn't really, we didn't really have anything for the elementary kids. It was just for like middle and high school, but there was about that many of them. And so I thought, you know, I, I, we need to come up with like a youth program or some kind of a thing in, in addition to just the Sunday church to just give these kids something to do and, um, you know, help kind of engage them in, in, you know, their faith and the church and, you know, whatever. And, of course, I was thinking back to my experience in youth group in high school, and I loved it, and I, it was my goal to, like, recreate that um, there at uh, Shayla Community Church. That's what it was called. And when I was in high school, the youth group program uh, met in this place at the church called The Cave. They called it The Cave, and it was like this dark sort of basement sort of place. And they had, you know, I don't know, it was just like a cool atmosphere for kids. But it was called The Cave, and so I thought, all right, we're going to make The Cave here in Shayla. And so um, we decided to name it La Cueva Shayla. And, and so that is kind of a cool name. And the whole idea for it was basically just like it needs to be a place where kids are going to want to be. And so it needs to be fun. It needs to be exciting. They need to be able to make it their own. And, you know, at first we were meeting like at the church, which wasn't a cool place in any sense of the word. And I thought we need to take this and do something else. We need to be somewhere else. We need to let these kids have their own place. And so I started looking around town kind of nearby where we had the church to like lease a space. And one good thing about Guatemala is like commercial rental space is super cheap, especially compared to the United States. And so I had a, a realtor there showing me around in some different places. And, and we found this cool spot that kind of worked out for us. And so we leased it. And I was raising money back home to pay for the lease, which I don't remember what it was, but it was like less than $100 a month. It was, it was next to nothing for a pretty good sized place with like a bathroom and just four walls, basically. 
And so we leased this place. We called it La Cueva Shela. And so as I'm starting up the youth group, I kind of was getting to know these kids. And I said, hey, we're going to have like move-in day at La Cueva. So come down. We're going to do some fun stuff. And, and um, we'll kind of make it our own. And I had I was able to scrounge up some some crappy furniture and, you know, just some couches and chairs and stuff like that, coffee table, and just kind of make it a cool hangout place. And I bought all this paint, uh, paintbrushes and stuff. And on this moving in day, I poured up all this paint and I let the kids paint the walls. And and actually what we did was we painted them green, I think. And then we had all these other colors. And I said, paint whatever you want on the wall. Just have fun with it, but just kind of make it appropriate, you know. Don't make us paint over your stuff, right? And so um, kids were just having fun. They were painting crazy pictures and drawings and characters and stuff and writing their names. And it was just really fun. And and me and this guy, Dustin, there was another um, American guy there um, who was in his 20s like me named Dustin. He was from uh, Mississippi, I think, or Alabama. He was there. He was kind of helping out. And he painted some cool stuff on the walls. And me and him painted this big La Cueva Shela logo on the wall which was just really cool. And the kids are like smiling. I'm looking around. I'm like, yes, this is working. Like they feel like this is their spot. And so every Wednesday night we would meet up there at the cave. And uh, basically what we would do is I had built a uh, ping pong table as well and got, I've got a net and some paddles. And so basically for the first like half hour, we would just goof around play ping pong, let the kids hang out, have a good time. And then we would um, get together and I had like prepared a little message, like a Bible study type thing, you know, to sit down and go through. And what I did was some of the kids, most of the kids spoke pretty good English, but some didn't. And so I would have uh, Micaiah translate my little message into uh, Spanish. And I made a um, little handout with like English on one side and Spanish on the other. And so it was cool. So we'd sit down and I remember we read through the book of James and we had like Bible memory verses that were um, one of the requirements was you were supposed to uh, memorize the verse in English and Spanish. And for the native English speakers, you had to recite the verse in Spanish. And for the Spanish speakers, you had to say the verse in English. And so it was kind of fun. It was kind of a, a lighthearted thing of like hearing each other say, you know, poor pronunciation of the words in the other language and you laugh a little bit and stuff. But but it was fun. We like learned some stuff, you know, we memorized some stuff. And I still remember some of those Spanish verses that we learned from the book of James. And we did a couple other books. I don't exactly remember which ones, but it was just a cool thing. And every week we would have, you know, a dozen or maybe 18 kids show up. And I ended up having a little men's group with a couple of guys that were in high school. Uh, these two kids, Vinny and Skylar. Vinny was Guatemalan, Skylar was American. Um, his parents also worked at the church. And every morning, uh, not every morning, like every Tuesday morning, I would pick them up for school and we'd go to McDonald's and have McDonald's breakfast and just talk about life, what's going on, how's life, that kind of stuff. And so it was cool. Like I had developed this decent little program of like every Wednesday night we'd go to La Cueva and every Tuesday or maybe it was Thursday, me and the guys would go out and have breakfast and just kind of talk about life. And it was it was really a meaningful thing to me. And I think it was probably good for the kids. And I don't know, even if it wasn't, they were showing up, you know, they they were showing up and that was enough for me. And so I'm hanging out with Micaiah. We're falling in love. We're having a great time. And we had the youth program going at La Cueva. And one of the people that came to La Cueva was Micaiah's little sister, Megan. And I got to sort of pause everything here and tell you about Megan. When I got to Guatemala, Megan was 12 years old and she turned 13 like two days after I got to Guatemala. 
And me and her just kind of became best friends there. <laughs> you know, um, I'm in my 20s. I'm like 23, 24, and Megan's 13. Um, but she was just like this fun, just goofy kid. And she was kind of my little buddy that I just hung out with all the time, you know, um, when I wasn't hanging out with Micaiah or the high school kids that I was hanging out with. And she was kind of like my other friend, you know, and it was just so cool. And me and Megan would just kind of be so stupid and goofy and kind of do all the goofy, silly stuff that like was way too like dumb and immature for Micaiah to want to do. <laughs> but like deep down, like I am a totally immature, dumb kid at heart. And so me and Megan were kind of basically on the same maturity level. <laughs> and uh, we just had a freaking blast um, just goofing around. We'd kind of go run errands together and just be silly and be stupid and just have a great time. And so it was so fun. Like my my true best friends there were Micaiah and her sister Megan, who I eventually and pretty quickly renamed Moog. And that's what I still call her today. Um, anyway, that was kind of the vibe, you know, and we'd go to church on Sundays and we would spend our time during the days just kind of running errands and doing the normal life stuff that you do. And the one other thing that I did was I ended up getting a job, which was really just a volunteer job at this little private school called Sanders International School. And the person that ran the school was this lady named Marisol Sanders. And she was a Guatemalan lady who went, went to church with us. She was just really sweet and kind of just a cool lady. And so she had this little school of like, I don't know, there was probably 100, 150 kids at this school, um, all the way from like kindergarten to to 12th grade. And, you know, there's only a dozen students in each grade or whatever, but it was just a cool little school. And she told me at church one Sunday, she said, Jacob, I really need a PE teacher. Would you consider coming to be my PE teacher or PE coach at uh, Sanders International School? And she had this way of asking for stuff that you just like, yes, yes, what I, I'll do whatever you want. She was so sweet. I loved her. And so she said, okay, we'll show up tomorrow and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you going. And I was like, what do I need to do? And she said, honestly, all the kids want to do is play soccer during PE. All you got to do is make sure they don't get in fights and they're, they're nice to each other and they don't like skip school. It's like, okay, great. So um, I think I did it like three days a week. I would go up to uh, the school. I'd just walk up there and um, and be the soccer coach. And I'd have like four or five periods of, you know, soccer or PE which all we ever did was play soccer. One time I brought a Frisbee up there because I was tired of playing soccer. And I was like going to teach the kids how to play ultimate Frisbee because it's basically the same rules as soccer essentially. And like I knew they could understand it. And so I try to teach them ultimate Frisbee and I start throwing the Frisbee with them. And I realize one day like these kids can't, they've never played a catching game in their whole life. All they've ever done is play soccer. Like they're amazing with their feet they couldn't catch a frisbee or like a baseball to save their life. So I, I got rid of that idea. We went back to um, just soccer every day all the time, which was great. It was really, really fun. I got decent at soccer while I was there. The other fun thing about the school was every day that I was there at lunch, Marisol's mom, who I don't remember her name, but she was this sweet little teeny tiny Mayan woman who wore the traditional Mayan dress. And she was just this little old lady, and she was so cute and so sweet. She didn't speak any English, um, but, um, you know, I would talk to her and stuff, and we would we kind of um, had a relationship of, like, just smiling at each other and kind of, you know, just joking around a little bit. And every day she would come up to the school, and she was basically the lunch lady, and she would bring the same thing every day. And all she had was 
a stack of tostadas, which is like a like a cooked flour tortilla or cooked corn tortilla. Um, and she had like this chicken salad that she would make and it was incredible. <laughs> and every day, um, I would go in there and this was like my only real payment for being, a, you know, on the quote faculty of the school. Um, but I would get free chicken salad tostada from, uh, Marisol's little old grandma or little old mom for lunch. And it was just incredible. And every time she would give me, she would like really load the chicken salad up and sometimes she'd give me two or three or four. And she just, I think she really got a kick out of the fact that I liked her food. But that was kind of my job. And the other thing that Marisol um, had that I, I, I had a lot of fun with was um, she had a little scooter, like a little moped. And uh, she would let me borrow it. And so sometimes at school I would go and run errands for her and stuff, ride around town on this moped. And riding around town on a, in a third world country on a moped or a motorcycle you really feel like you're part of the culture because there's so many of those just kind of zipping around everywhere. You you can kind of imagine what it's like, you know. There's there's lots of trucks and lots of cars and lots of bikes, but there's lots of mopeds and motorcycles. And it was just so fun to just be a part of the culture like that and and really kind of, you know, just just feel like I belonged, you know, in a way. And I got used to the town and, you know, I got pretty good at Spanish too. Not not really good, but I got okay with it. I could I could hold my own. I could travel by myself. So anyway, that's what the scene was in Guatemala. And one time in early 2004, I don't exactly remember the dates, but I had two friends fly down to come and see me. And it was my buddy Peter and my buddy John. And they showed up and um, we, we spent a week traveling around the country. We went down to Lake Atitlan and Panajachel and stayed in these little places and ate good food and took a boat across the lake to a little town called San Pedro. We rented horses and rode horses around the town one day. Just like literally these people just give you the reins to a horse. You jump on the horse and you just haul ass through the streets. Like it was wild. <laughs> there was like no rules it was crazy. I mean, just, just imagine that for a second, you know, these three white guys just galloping down cobblestone streets on a horse. <laughs> it was absolutely like nothing, nothing like this would ever fly in the United States. And it was just fun. Uh, and while they were there, we went to Antigua as well, which has also got volcanoes all around it. And one of those volcanoes is called Acatenango. And it's just over 13,000 feet. And one of the things that we did while we were there was I had really wanted to climb this mountain. And so Peter and John and I hired a guide from this um, guide outfitters called Old Town Outfitters. And they had guide, guided trips all over, whatever you wanted to do, basically. But we hired a guide to, um, to take us up a Catanango. And this guy, um, his name was Melvin. And he was a really cool guy. He was really, really fun. We had our backpacks and all our gear and everything. And Melvin was cool and he was going to come with us and I've got this great picture of me and Peter and John and Melvin um, before the climb with the mountain in the background as they were taking us up to uh, drop us off we stopped at this like beautiful vista and took a picture there and so we it was just amazing we start climbing the mountain and Melvin said something he said a, a catchphrase that I kind of have remembered and repeated often throughout my life and so while we're hiking I'm kind of practicing my uh, my Spanish with Melvin and he spoke really good English but um, I wanted to practice my Spanish with him. And so I was asking Melvin, he had he had prepared all the food or packed all that stuff for us. We basically just had to bring our, our own personal gear. And Melvin, as our guide, had all the food. And so I was asking Melvin, like, what are we eating in Guatemala or in Spanish and stuff? And he was describing it to me. And I, 
And uh, I said, uh, I said, I cafe, which means, is there coffee? And Melvin said back to me, Senor Jacob, sin cafe, no hay desayuno, <laughs> which means without coffee, there is no breakfast. And I love that. I say that all the time. And uh, it was just a beautiful thing. We climbed the mountain. And um, when you get to the top of a Katanango, this is one of the coolest things ever. Um, we, we got to the very top, just over 13,000 feet. And from the top, you can see there's another volcano that, that shares a saddle with the Katanango. And, and, the, and it's a little bit lower. And that volcano is called Fuego. And Fuego, as I'm sure you know, means fire. And they named it that because Fuego erupts more frequently than any other volcano in the world. Um, there's, there's other volcanoes that are like, have been constantly erupting for years, but in terms of frequency, Fuego erupts more often than any other in the world. And when I say erupts, it means it just kind of, something comes out of it, right? It just, some lava bubbles out. And from the top of Akatanango, you can see down into the crater of Fuego and there's literally just like a lake of fire down there. And it's so cool. And we stood there just staring at it and there's like fog rolling in and you can kind of just barely see into it. But I remember just standing there with Peter and John and, and Melvin and just thinking like, this is so wild that we're here, you know, like what a, what a beautiful thing to just be alive, you know, and, and just to get to experience this kind of stuff. And yes, like how privileged too, you know, I mean, it was just like such a interesting contrast to like, I get to travel to places like this and see this stuff. And so many people don't get to do that. And I, was, I just, I just took it. And, and sort of kept it and held it and just, just to understand, like, I'm really, really lucky. And, you know, I don't want to squander that, you know, but what do you do with it? And it was just all you can do is kind of be thankful, right? And it was just a cool feeling to have that. And we had an amazing experience climbing that mountain with, uh, with Melvin. So that's basically a pretty good overview of my experience my time in Guatemala, except for this one story that I have to tell you that will carry us right into the next segment of the year 2004, which is the day that I kind of sort of accidentally asked Micaiah's dad if I could marry her. And I'll explain. <laughs> okay, so one week, Micaiah's mom and her two sisters were out of town, and she was out of town. Micaiah was out of town with a friend that had come in to visit her. And so it was just me and David at the house, which happened from time to time, but it was always fun because it was like dude's weekend or whatever. And so we would drink beer and you know, watch soccer and just kind of hang out. And so one day we're grilling in the backyard, got the grill going. We're drinking a couple of cold Mosa beers and smoking some backwoods that uh, someone had mailed to me. Just kind of having a good time. It was a beautiful day. And we're sitting back there and there's food on the grill. And I said to David, you know, wh what I was trying to do was I was trying to have another conversation of just like an update with him about where we are uh, where me and Micaiah were in terms of our relationship and kind of what the future was going to look like. And then later, like, there was going to be a third conversation where I was going to ask him, you know, for his permission to marry Micaiah, which is an old school thing that I knew that he appreciated. And I know that I'll appreciate that when my daughter gets to that point. But um, so that's what I did. Uh, but I was just going to have the, the, the preliminary conversation, right? So we sit down and, and I say, David, hey, I, I just want to kind of you know, give you an update on things. You know, me and Makai have been talking a lot about the future and and we're in love and I, I love her and she loves me and we are really excited about the future and I, and I just want to let you know that I am really um, doing my best to um, treat her right and be good to her and pursue her towards marriage. 
Um, that is our eventual goal. And um, I just want to let you know that that's kind of what we're looking at. And he said, well, Jacob, are you asking me if you can marry her? And I was like, um, yeah, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and do it. Let's do this now. And <laughs> so, you know, he, he, it was kind of funny. He caught me off guard. Like I wasn't ready to do that, but I was, you know, I don't know why I was waiting any longer anyway. And it was the perfect opportunity. And so, you know, we kind of talked about that for a minute and he said, well, Jacob, I can tell you for sure that, uh, we really like you a lot. Um, but he said with respect to Kathy, Makai's mom, she was out of town. He said, with respect to Kathy, I want to talk to her about it first and then we will, um, we will talk to you. And I was like, awesome. And so later that night, the ladies are still out of town and I heard David make a phone call to Kathy. And I don't think I've ever told David this, but I heard him talking to her on the phone. And, uh, and of course I know that he's going to tell her what I had, what we had talked about. And so like, I kind of sneak in and I'm sort of hiding behind a wall and I'm just totally eavesdropping on their conversation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's talking to Kathy about what we had talked about. And of course I can't hear what she's saying, but he had a tone to his voice that sounded positive to me. And so I was like, all right, you know, you're nervous, right? You know, these things are nerve wracking. And, um, anyway, so the next day he comes to me and he says, Jacob, I talked to Kathy and, we would just be thrilled if you and Makai got married and you have all of our blessing and we, we are so excited for you guys and, you know, we will be there and support you guys in every way that we can. So it's like, oh, this is so exciting, you know, it's so awesome. Like I was just doing it and, and it's just amazing. Um, so with that in my mind, of course, I told Makai that I had had that conversation with him because... Number one, she's really my only real friend in the country. And number two, like I was just excited that we could really start planning for the future. And and we had talked about marriage plenty and all that. So, you know, it wasn't that big of a surprise. But she was giddy and excited too. And it was just such a fun, fun time. So after a while, we get to the point where it's time to head home. We had been in Guatemala for a little over six months. And it was time to head home. And David, Micaiah's dad, doesn't fly. Um, he was in Vietnam and had a crazy, terrible experience and doesn't fly anymore. He drives from Kansas City, where they live, to Guatemala like four or five times a year, which seems insane. And it is. It's exciting and it's awesome. And the plan was that me and Makai were going to drive home with David um, from Guatemala in um, uh, early May of uh, 2004. And so that's what we did. We packed up the car and Makai's mom, Kathy, and um, her two sisters stayed in the country, um, you know, for a while. And uh, me and David and Makai hit the road and we drive north into Mexico and we cross the border there and we drive all the way um, through Mexico from south to north. And, you know, if you think about the country of Mexico, it gets real skinny at the bottom and then kind of curves up kind of like the letter J. And at that little skinny spot, coming out of Guatemala, you kind of cross that skinny spot. And I don't know how wide it is at that point, but it's really cool because you can, you get to see the Pacific ocean and the Atlantic ocean in the same day driving, which is kind of hard to wrap your head around as like an American. They seem so far apart, but down at that point in Mexico, they're actually really close together. And it was just so cool just driving. And of course, David's done this drive a hundred times and he could really give you directions, you know, 
just off the top of his head, like verbally. The experience was just wild, as you can imagine. This is one of those road trips that if you can pull it off, it's one of the most beautiful and amazing road trips. And, you know, David knew all the best taco shacks on the side of the road. And I remember one place we stopped and um, got some tacos. It was on the uh, it was on the eastern coast of, Gua- of, of Mexico. And we got some tacos and at this like outdoor place right there on the beach. And I remember um, I got a Pacifico beer, which is the first time I'd had a Pacifico. I've always enjoyed Mexican beers, but uh, Pacifico to me is the flavor of Mexico when it comes to um, what we were doing. It just felt so right. It's just got that perfect flavor. And I remember drinking that Pacifico and thinking, ah, this is just, this is just so amazing uh, to just be here and doing stuff like this and just drinking a beer with my girl and her dad, just cruising on this massive epic road trip. And it's just amazing. And every time I drink a Pacifico, I think about that moment. And so we drove all the way home and it was so cool. And so we get back to the United States and it, it felt good to be home. We crossed into the US at Brownsville, Texas. And, you know, just crossing back in, it was like, it felt good to be home, you know, and it was just, it was just great. We stayed at like a Holiday Inn and like ate at some, I don't know, it was Chili's or some kind of place. And it's just like, it does feel good to be home when you've been gone a, a long time. So we're back in the USA. Me and Makai moved back to Fayetteville for a little while, just um, kind of for the summer. Like we didn't really know what our real plan was going to be. And, uh, but we're in Fayetteville and on June 19th, which is her birthday of 2004, I picked her up well before dawn in the morning of June 19th, and I had had a whole day planned uh, for her birthday that we were going to go and do all kinds of fun stuff. And it was going to start with we were going to grab some McDonald's breakfast and we were going to drive up to the White River um, just below Beaver Dam and have breakfast on the White River because she had never been there and I had been telling her about how I used to go fly fishing there all the time and I wanted her to kind of see that. And so that was what we were going to do for her birthday. And so we, I pick her up and we go up to the um, river and we park the car and we kind of walk down to the river bank. And, you know, in the summer, it's June, it's hot outside, but down by the river, right under the dam, it's pretty cool because the water is really cold because it comes out of the bottom of Beaver Lake. And so there's like fog rising and it's just for the fly fishermen and women out there, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's just a, it's just a really special kind of a place to see dawn on a trout stream. It was just beautiful. And so we're, we eat our McDonald's and we're just kind of sitting there having a good time. And I don't exactly remember kind of how it happened or how I did it, but I pulled a ring out of my pocket and I said some sweet words to her about our life and how much I love her and how excited I am to spend the rest of my life with her. I got down on one knee and I said, Micaiah, will you marry me? And she says, yes. We hug, we kiss. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, just had a kind of a special moment there. And after that, we did all this other fun stuff. In fact, we actually went to Target and registered for wedding presents that day because we were just so excited about the whole thing. And it was, if you've never been to Target with like, to register with like one of those scanner guns, you just walk around and just like zap things that you want. And it's just like, it's like a shopping spree, but you're not paying for any of it. And uh, it's so fun. We did that. And we also went up to this little petting zoo in this town called Gentry. Um, right up there in northwest Arkansas, which is like this podunk, you know, safari type place. And I remember that because we got out of the car and right as you get out of the car, I'm sure they've changed it since then. But when you got out of the car, you're right there at like the giraffe 
pen or whatever. And there was this giraffe like standing right there by the fence. And it's like so cool. You know, you just see a giraffe and there's just a, you know, it's just right there in front of you. And something happened and the giraffe um, turned and ran away. He had like a quite a big field. It was really cool to see them with like a lot of space. And the giraffe ran away. And I realized watching that giraffe, if you've never seen a giraffe run, since they're so much bigger than us, it looks like they're running in slow motion. And it's just kind of mind-bending to see this massive, beautiful, majestic creature running, and it's going in slow motion. And I had this thought in my head of like, oh my gosh, like, that's what I feel like my life is like right now. It's so good and so awesome that it feels like it's in slow motion. And it was just such a cool experience to think like, if you look at things the right way, you can see yourself in them and notice your situation and your surroundings and really, really take it in. And that's what I was doing during this time. That's what I felt like in my heart that I was taking in all of it. And I was really experiencing it. And I was, it's true. And so fast forwarding from there, after we got engaged, we decided we were going to move back to Little Rock. Um, I decided that I wanted, I needed to get back into school and I had a good friend, my buddy Fat, was enrolling at University of Arkansas at Little Rock to enroll in the construction management program. And I thought, that sounds cool. I'll do that too. So we moved back to Little Rock. We rented this little house in Camac Village, which is kind of a little part of Little Rock, a little neighborhood. And um, before we got married, we had, well, we set a wedding date for November 21st. And prior to being married, I lived in the house by myself and Micaiah lived with my parents because we didn't want to live together before the wedding. And I also wanted Micaiah to really get to know my family because, you know, it was kind of funny. I had really fallen in love with her in Guatemala and my parents hadn't even met her until we got home from Guatemala. And at that point, I had already had permission to marry her. Like we were getting married and my parents still hadn't even met her yet. And it was so funny to to just flash back to right when when I had gotten home, Micaiah came home with me to meet my parents and my mom came out the door and the first thing my mom said was, oh, you're going to have such beautiful children. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, she was right. So Makai lived with my parents prior to our wedding, which was really cool. She got to know my parents a lot. And, and of course, they love her. How could you not? So let me tell you about the wedding day and our little honeymoon. And then we'll talk about what we're going to get into next week. Now, leading up to the wedding, Micaiah's nervous. We had done all the planning and everything, and she's kind of more prone towards nervousness and anxiety than I am typically. And so she ended up getting a small prescription for Xanax uh, leading up to the wedding, just in case, you know, she needed something. And me, I stay pretty chill. You know, I'm pretty cool. I, I, don't, I don't get worked up and nervous or, or anything, you know, and so I, I was fine. But the night before the wedding, I was staying in a hotel with, I was actually sharing a bed with my little brother, Scram. And I was laying there in bed, and I didn't sleep a wink the night before. I'm talking about never got any sleep, period. Not not just a little bit. I didn't get any sleep. So I wake up on the morning of my wedding, and it was like an afternoon wedding. I think it was 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon was the wedding. And we were going to have the um, rehearsal the day of the wedding, like in the morning. 
And so I wake up on the day of our wedding and I am freaking out. I hadn't slept at all. And I was just laying there at night just thinking like, oh my God, like I'm doing something so big and so huge. I wasn't scared of it. It was just like such a big thing. And I was freaking out. My heart was racing. I was losing it. And so um, I call Makai and I say, hey, um, I, I'm kind of freaking out. I need one of those Xanax. And so she comes down to my room. I take a Xanax. All right. <laughs> and, um, you know, that chills me out. We go do the um, rehearsal at the church, you know, go through all that. And I'm feeling chill now. I had the Xanax and everything. I'm good. And then after the rehearsal, me and my buddies, all my groomsmen and I, we go out to Waffle House and I start to crash because the Xanax was like taking me down and I hadn't slept at all. And so I was just like passing out at the table. And so uh, one of my buddies says, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I can give you an Adderall. And so I was like, sweet, give me an Adderall. So <laughs> I take an Adderall and now I've got Xanax and Adderall just surging through my system, which like, if you've never done those two things at the same time, I do not recommend it, especially on your wedding day. It was a terrible idea. Um, but so now I'm, I've got Xanax calming me down and Adderall bringing me up and it was just wild. Of course, I drank coffee. I still hadn't slept at all, and I'm just kind of losing my mind. So we we go back to the um, wedding venue, and we're getting dressed for the day. Me and all the guys are putting our stuff on and everything. We were going to do like a first look with Micaiah where I was going to get to see her in her wedding dress and so that we could, you know, take some pictures of that little moment and then do all the kind of family, you know, informal pictures, you know, before the wedding. And so... You know, I, I remember like right before I was scheduled to see Micaiah, I was walking around the uh, venue, just like around the grounds with, with Fat. And I was just kind of, you know, freaking out a little bit. And, you know, he was talking me through it and stuff. And it was just so cool. And it was starting to sprinkle. And it was a beautiful kind of uh, overcast sort of sprinkly day, which just kind of, I love those anyway. And so that kind of mellowed me out just enough to get into the chapel. And so they set up the first look with my back to the doors and I'm at the front of the chapel and then the doors open and then I turn around and Micaiah starts walking towards me in her wedding dress. And oh my God, it was, it was truly like an angel descended from the clouds and a beam of light like shone on her and she kind of had this shimmery dress. And I mean, she's just beautiful, man. I mean, if you guys remember, those of you that are married, if you can remember the wife of your youth, it, there is just something amazing to that. And it just crumbled me from the inside out. And I just, just started like weeping. I was a mess and I cried like the rest of the day, basically. <laughs> Uh, I was just overcome with how lucky I was, how beautiful she was, how excited I was, and how it was all like working out. You know, she walks down the aisle towards me. I'm sobbing and we do the thing, you know, hug and kiss and stuff. And the girl's taking pictures and you laugh about how weird it is and stuff. And anyway, long story short, we um, we do that whole thing, take the pictures and stuff. And, you know, and that settled me down a good bit to like see her and get that over with. And then, uh, you know, the wedding starts. And so the wedding was really cool. Um, David walks Micaiah down the aisle towards me. It was just a beautiful moment. And we had um, the guy who married us is our friend Roger, who was uh, an amazing bluegrass player, a mandolin player. 
and uh, and guitar player. And so as we were walking down the aisle and everything, like the intro processional music, Roger and um, his friend Bob, our friend Bob, were playing um, mandolin and guitar, just doing some picking and bluegrass kind of stuff. It was just like the perfect vibe. And um, and then Mikai walked into a different song, and but it was kind of a bluegrass wedding, you know, and it was just cool. The wedding was amazing. And, and sadly, like there's no video of it. So I don't have a whole lot of great memories from the wedding, but we did officially get married. It was really incredible. And, uh, oh, actually kind of a funny story. I had, my, my plan was when I walked down the aisle, I'm basically the last person down the aisle, um, before like the bridesmaids come in and then Micaiah. And so what I was going to do was, um, after the bridesmaids come in, I was going to do like a welcome where I was going to say a few things and say, thanks for coming and all this stuff. And I was so nervous and so just jacked up on, on the the whole experience that I had fat, like prepared to do that. I said, man, when I get up there, I might need you to take, take over and do the welcome for me. And, um, but, uh, thankfully when I walked down the aisle, I got there and fat was kind of looking at me ready. You know, I I winked at him and I looked at the crowd and turned around and just said, you know, I just did this big, like deep breath and everybody laughed and that kind of cut the tension and stuff. And so, you know, I, I said a few things, I had no idea what I said, but, um, you know, we, we did the wedding and everything. It was beautiful and amazing. And one of my favorite parts about it was me and Micaiah walked out, like right after he pronounced us man and wife and we turn around, everybody cheers. And my buddy, Steve was ready on the uh, CD player and he hit play on, uh, one of my favorite songs, at the time and still is, but the song is Good Hearted Woman, uh, which is by Willie Nelson. But uh, we had it being played by Yonder Mountain String Band. Anyway, we go to the reception. And seriously, I can't overstate the fact that I was out of my mind this whole day. And I really hardly have any memories of the reception at all. I'm sure I had a lot of weird conversations with people where they were like, what the hell is wrong with Jacob today? But um, the only thing I do really remember about it was that uh, Bob and Roger and they had a couple friends playing bluegrass. You know, it's just like a cool, mellow uh, uh, time. It was it wasn't a huge wedding, uh, but it was fun. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And after the reception, we um, got in my mom's Mercedes. She had loaned us her Mercedes for our honeymoon. We take that. We drive up to Kansas City. We had this nice hotel in Kansas City, Hotel Phillips, and we had this you know, honeymoon suite there. It was incredible and huge and awesome. We ordered room service and just kind of lived it up. And from there, we drove to Keystone, Colorado to go snowboarding and had an amazing time there. And it was, it was just an amazing, amazing time. It was Makai's first time snowboarding. That part did not work out very well at all. We like did half a run and she was like crying and it was hard and I was a terrible idea to try to go for snowboarding for the first time on your honeymoon but we didn't do a lot of snowboarding but we had so much fun just wandering around the town and we spent Thanksgiving there in Keystone and we had Thanksgiving dinner at this little restaurant where they served like truly one of the most amazing Thanksgiving dinners I've ever had it was just like a one plate thing but it was it was done perfectly it was absolutely great had an amazing time in Colorado drove home and on the way home I'll never forget we were listening to the Da Vinci Code audiobook and just like I don't know we were just being like an old married couple it was so fun to just feel like that anyway we get home get back to our life together in Little Rock she moves in of course and um you know before we know it it's Christmas and New Year's and the year is over 
and 2005 is on the horizon and that's what we're going to talk about next time 2005 was an amazing year in which i was able to go climbing at horseshoe canyon every single month that year and definitely one of the most insane moments of my entire life where i actually saw the living breathing spirit of god on the edge of a cliff at the buffalo river this is a story you are not going to believe I'll talk to you about it next time. Thanks for listening. Peace out.